This podcast has been prepared for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for specific advice. You should consult your own advisors before taking any action. Welcome to the How David Beats Goliath podcast. Your host, Michael J. Swanson, is the author of the book, How David Beats Goliath, and CEO and chairman of the board of directors of Advocate Capital. And now, here's Michael. Hi, everybody. It's Mike. On today's podcast, we will explore the proper accounting of case expenses for tax purposes. And joining me from San Francisco today is a very prominent lawyer and expert in the area of tax law, Robert Wood. Uh, And Robert um, is very well published. We were speaking earlier. He's written over 30 books about taxes. He is a frequent speaker around the country, expert uh, witness in uh, tax-related suits and litigation. He also writes uh, tax columns for Forbes.com and has been named by Forbes magazine to uh, one of America's best lawyers. So, uh, Robert, thanks uh, so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. And you're speaking to us from San Francisco today? I'm in my office in San Francisco. Fantastic. We are receiving just monsoon rains here in Nashville, like like eight inches of rain this week. I'm, I don't imagine you have that problem there. Uh, no, although we've had a much wetter winter than, uh, than we planned, but t- today it's nice and sunny. Awesome. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to being out there in April. I have some business, so maybe I'll drop by and take you to lunch. That'd be nice. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, Robert's agreed to join us today to help us talk about our topic, which is the um, proper accounting um, treatment, actually tax treatment of case expenses. So today we are going to talk about the proper accounting of case expenses for tax purposes. Uh, But first, we're going to do a quick review of a couple of key financial statements that uh, you need to know about. Uh, If you're like uh, most plaintiff lawyers, you have an undergrad in history or political science, sociology, you probably didn't learn much about business in undergrad, and then you went to law school where they didn't teach you business things. So we're going to be talking about these financial statements. I want to review them quickly to make sure that you're familiar with them, have a general understanding. So the first is the income statement. Uh, The second is the balance sheet. So let's talk about an income statement, also known as a profit and loss statement. Um, An income statement covers a period of time, right? So it has a starting date, and an ending date. It can be, uh, it can last for a month, a quarter, a year, really anything you want it to. But the key is it covers a period of time. And on the income statement, I like to think of it as what you received uh, minus what you paid out and what's left, right? Uh, but we don't call it that on the income statement. We call it income minus expenses equal profit. That's why we also call it a profit and loss statement because uh, it can be a loss, obviously, if the expenses exceed income for that time period. So that's uh, a quick review of an income statement. This is a typical format of an income statement out of QuickBooks for a plaintiff law firm. You see, you'll see income at the top, then the expenses, and then the profit at the bottom. Okay, secondly is a balance sheet. So a balance sheet is different in that it is a snapshot in time at a particular moment in time. It doesn't have a a period of time. It's a a snapshot. I like to think of it kind of a net worth statement, although it's not exactly that. Uh, If you think of net worth, it's what you owed, what you own minus what you owe is net worth. We use different words for that on a balance sheet. We say assets minus liabilities uh, equal equity. They're just different names for the same thing. A typical balance sheet is structured a little differently. Assets at the top, liabilities below that, and then equity at the bottom. I have a uh, webinar. It's on advocatecapital.com slash videos. 
um, that talks about uh, financial statements in more more in depth. Uh, you can view that if you want to learn more. So I wanted to do that quick uh, overview. So, so the question today uh, really is where should case expenses uh, appear on your financial statements? Uh, and and Rob and I had a chance to talk about this a little bit before. I tend to think in terms of the financial statements. R Rob's a, a tax guy, so he kind of kind of had a good spin on that or a good take on that. Rob, where do you think uh, case expenses should appear? Oh, well, so, I mean, we do, and Mike, as you say, we do um, view it somewhat differently. Um, for, for lending purposes, certainly you've got to look at a financial statement. you got to know what the position of the law firm is right. uh, or the solo lawyer if it's a solo and not a law firm. Um, I think about tax, and I right. guess – because my interactions are not about financial statements, but rather about tax returns. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I think from a tax viewpoint, it's unfortunately, because no one's going like, to like the treatment, it's uh, it's really clear what the IRS wants you to do with case expenses, right. which is not, you know, not to deduct them. But uh, from a financial statement point of view, I think your comment was it's it's an asset. Yeah. Right. So uh, I, I do tend to think in terms of financial statements, like you say, I've been reading the, the uh, tax returns and the financial statements we all have here at Advocate uh, every day for the past 20 years. Uh, but I think you make a good point. So um, I, if I was a plaintiff lawyer, I would put my case expenses on the balance sheet because that's also the right treatment for right. tax purposes, right? So um, can you talk a little bit more about the background of that, maybe, maybe uh, about uh, PLR 8246013? Uh, uh, sure. So, I mean, the basic rule, and as I say, I've never, I don't think I've ever met a plaintiff's lawyer who and I re represented and represent many um, in law firms um, on the plaintiff's side. I don't think I've ever met anyone who likes this rule. Right. Uh, so, um, and I think some people, as we might discuss, ignore it. But, um, but the IRS view, as this uh, private letter ruling says, is that... Um, that amounts that you're paying for FedEx, for uh, travel, for deposition costs, uh, for expert witness fees, all of these things that you, it would be nice if you got a client to pay for them. And, and some lawyers are able to do that. But I think the trend in the industry is the lawyer basically has to lay out money for all those things until the case eventually is resolved. And at that point, essentially, the lawyer is, is, I guess you could say, paid back for these things. Yeah. And, and that's the key to what the IRS says, which is um, you really are not, even though you're writing a check to FedEx every month and many other bigger expenses, the IRS says these are not your expenses and therefore you can't deduct them even though you're paying them. you got to wait right. and treat them as a loan and treat, account for them at the end of the case. That's yeah. what the wants. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a double whammy. Not only do most plaintiff lawyers have to advance the expenses on behalf of their client because, you know, who else is going to do it? The client typically can't do it. Um, they're really, according to IRS, not allowed to expense them. So when I talk about them appearing on the proper financial statement, I think that flows through to your point, which is really what ultimately the IRS cares about is how they appear in your tax return, right? That's ultimately what matters. You could do them wrong on your financial statements and right on your tax returns. Um, I typically 
typically find them matching as we look at law firms' financial statements. Um, I think that roughly half of the law firms that apply with us are doing it, I'll say, wrong in that they are listing those expenses on the income statement. And then when we look at their tax returns, they tend to mirror that. So um, ultimately, you're right. What matters is what's on the tax returns. If, if I was a plaintiff lawyer, I would want to see my case expenses on my balance sheet for another reason that doesn't have to do with tax. And it has to do with just knowing the metrics of your business. I would say half of the plaintiff lawyers I speak with, when I ask them how much they have out in case expenses, they don't know. They actually just don't know the number because it's on their income statement. They just see a monthly number. Let's say, well, I spend about 20,000 a month. Well, I'll say, well, how much have you invested in your current cases? And they don't know because really not tracking on their on their balance sheet. So if I was a plaintiff lawyer, uh, I would want to see it on my balance sheet so I could glance and see how much of my after-tax cash have I loaned to my clients. And I think that's another motivator. So it, if you don't do it properly from a tax standpoint, there are huge implications, which we'll talk about in a minute. But just in terms of managing your business and knowing how much you have tied up uh, in your business, um, and is that fluctuating? Is that going up or down? You're not able to spot trends as easily. So that, that's just one of the observations, more from a practical standpoint. Actually, it's a great point. And of course, even though I'm uh, sort of saying I don't, you know, I don't care as much about financial statements, of course you're right that if you set it up properly from the beginning, um, then when you get to tax return time, hopefully you're gonna do it correctly. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about some of the, so I, I talked about one little implication of, of not having on, having case expense on the balance sheet. Can you tell me about what kind of risks a law firm is running if they're expensing their case expenses? Yeah. Uh, sure. And and I'd say my experience, I mean, I don't have any real, uh, just sort of the episodic things that I've seen. Right. But my suspicion is that there, you said half, I think that's probably fair. I think there are a lot of people, a lot of yeah. um, little law firms and probably some big law firms um, that are expensing and doing what I have to say is an awfully common sense kind of thing to do, which is if you're writing a check to FedEx or to the you know depositions uh, transcribing service or whatever it is, sure, um, you know it's an expense, and you think just like paying the to keep the lights on in your office, isn't that something you deduct? And so I think right. a lot of people go go sort of go along with that um, common sense view, but unfortunately it's wrong. So mm -hmm. uh, so if the, if you are doing it wrong, um, and I've represented people who are doing it wrong and who voluntarily fix it uh, or who get caught, so to speak, who get mm -hmm. audited by the IRS. That, that's probably a larger number, honestly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, in, but nonetheless, voluntarily fixing it is, uh, is a good idea so that you don't get caught. Um, but uh, but it, the risk is the IRS disallows the deductions. And there's, there's not much of a defense, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of about trying to ameliorate the penalties and trying to stretch out the adjustment. Sometimes you can do that. But as I say, the IRS is pretty firm about this and the court cases suggest that the IRS is right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, they're gonna win, <laughs> I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, they're gonna win and, and, they, and the IRS, I mean, the history of this dispute is a fairly long one. And between plaintiffs, lawyers, and the IRS, and the IRS, um, you know, with one notable exception, the IRS wins all the time. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So how, how many years can they go back and disallow um, deductions? So, the, I mean, the, it, it sort of depends. I mean, the general audit period is uh, for a tax return for an individual or a business is three years. Um, so three years after filing. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the general answer and the one that's mostly applicable here. Um, you should know that there's also a six-year statute of limitations that they can use sometimes. But mm -hmm. I'd say most often, if they're going to sort of catch you, it's three years that are going to be at stake. Got it. So if you've spent $100,000 a year for three years and you've expensed those, if I understand this correctly, I'm not an accountant, right? Um, they could say, well, those $300,000 should not have been expensed. So they disallow that. Right. So now you're, you're roughly going to owe taxes on that amount of money. Right. Yeah. And they're, and they're, they're, they add interest, of course, and they oh, add right. almost all the time, they add penalties. Yep. Penalties are something that you can often either avoid or negotiate or something. Right. Uh, but but interest and the taxes are not something you could get around. Yeah. And here's something we see from a practical standpoint. We have law firms come apply with us. Uh, we take about 25, 30 applications uh, a month. Uh, and frequently there is a ta federal tax lien out there. And um, if you have a federal tax lien, it's going to do some challenging things to your law, you and your law firm, if it's on you personally, especially, um, it's going to dramatically affect your credit score. Uh, it's going to affect your relationship with your existing or future lenders uh, until you get that resolved. And um, we have had to coach law firms for one or two or three years to finally get that that paid off uh, and that lien released before we can do business with them. So there are there are practical implications beyond just, hey, I have to pay this money. Uh, most law firms are not going to have, in my example there, an extra $100,000 laying around to write a, write a check to the IRS so they end up with a lien. So, um, yeah, and, yeah, no, that's a great point. And, now it, and, and of course, it's a, you know, it, it, the tax lien may well have nothing to do with the case cost issue. Um, you know, it may be regular income taxes. Yeah. It may be um, it may be uh, taxes from payroll taxes, but the as as you just noted, I mean, and, and I spend time with lots of clients, and unfortunately, on tax lien issues, I mean, no one wants a tax lien. It's a public filing. Right. Everybody can find out about it. Everybody can know about it, and no matter who you are, it's a little embarrassing. And and you will get um, at least I find clients get you know, phone calls and, you know, emails and solicitations mm -hmm. from people, you know, offering to fix it. And a lot of them are, you know, kind of bottom feeders, frankly. Right, but right. It's not a good position to be in. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about um, one other um, matter. I guess I'll call it. It was a case. It was uh, yep. called Ocardo v. Commissioner. Okay, great. So, and not to get too deep into the weeds, because I guess as a tax lawyer who's followed this for so many years, yeah. there are uh, there are three different, as I recall, Bocardo cases. Uh, you got to say, and I'm not sure if Mr. Bocardo is alive anymore, but he he was, and it's, the law firm's still, still around. Um, okay. Prominent plaintiff's lawyer in San Jose, I think, California. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and he basically took on the IRS over what I have to say many plaintiffs lawyers agree is an unfair treatment, this loan treatment. Yeah. 
Um, and he, I think, I forget the order of the cases that I have loosely called Bacardo one, two, and three. Mm. Uh, but eventually he beat them and he did it um, really uh, by persistence. But it, and it's only in the Ninth Circuit. The IRS has always hated this case. The IRS has always said they would never follow this case anywhere but the Ninth Circuit. Mm-hmm. So it literally only is for Ninth Circuit lawyers, but it essentially says that if your fee agreement is done in exactly the right way, we can talk about that in a moment, then you can deduct your case expenses. So it's not a get out of jail free card at all. It's only in the Ninth Circuit. The okay. IRS hates it. Um, and you got to do a fee agreement just so. Um, I would have to say, having represented lots of lawyers inside and outside the Ninth Circuit, uh, again, you can really only do this in the Ninth Circuit. Um, and in the Ninth Circuit, my experience is very few lawyers want to do a gross fee contract. It's to me, and this goes back. Uh, Mike, to your financial statement point, it's sort of crunching the numbers and knowing your cases and how much you're going to spend and how much you've been expending on the costs. Um, Because, you know, are you willing to say, uh, we're just going to adjust the percentage, but I, as the lawyer, I'm going to eat all the fees, all the the expenses. I mean, that's what a gross fee contract is. And if you do that, then, and you're in the Ninth Circuit, you could rely on Bocardo. Okay, so so, and unfortunately, we're having some technical difficulties over the the internet across the country here. So I think you, you may have dropped out a little bit there. So Bocardo may be used, if I understand it, if the law firm is using a gross fee contract. Is that right? That's right. Okay, so that's where the attorney will only recover a percent, a set percent of the gross, not the the case expenses. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, in, in other words, most most lawyers. Um, I mean, there are variations of this, obviously, but most uh, law firms have a sort of system where if the 100% of the money comes in, $100 comes in, first they take costs off the top right. and they right. split the balance. That's the most common. That doesn't work. You know, I mean, that still has to be treated as a loan Got it. anywhere in the country. Got it. That makes sense. So, um well, well, great. Thank you for that, because I know I actually have some some clients who've mentioned Bocardo, and uh, it reminds me to maybe remind them to ask their lawyer to look at their fee agreement to make sure that if they're going to hide behind Bocardo, uh, they need to be doing the gross fee and not the net fee contract. Yeah, great. no, you're fine. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so you you have had some clients who make the switch from expensing expenses to case expenses to moving to the balance sheet you, you've helped some law firms through that yes what what are um, what are some of the challenges when when they go through that process well I think um, again there's a there's a difference between voluntarily doing it um, and you know sort of getting audited and having yeah. to do it Right. Um, but some some law firms will see I, I, I wouldn't say it's a terribly challenging process. I mean, nobody likes it because it's paying money. Um, mm-hmm. But it's um, but I I mean, my memory, I, I mentioned adjustments um, is I think you can treat it as a, um, a, a partial change in accounting method and mm-hmm. adjust. And I think there's a way of uh, again, you're still paying interest, but paying it in over over several years. Um, but you know, I think the main challenge is simply 
you know, adding up what the, uh, the case costs have been that you did deduct and yeah. then sort of reversing those out. That's really all there is to it. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Um, very, very good. Well, um, again, uh, today's uh, information is not designed to be uh, accounting or legal advice, but please get your own legal and professional accounting opinions before taking or not taking any action. We don't want you to rely upon the information here. This is designed to get you thinking about uh, this. You may have never even noticed. Uh, you should call your CPA and say, hey, how are we doing this? Take a look at your income statement. Do you see case expenses there? You should ask some questions of your, your accounting team and how are we doing that? And as Rob mentioned, importantly, then follow through and look at your tax returns because that's where uh, it could get you in a lot of trouble. Rob, thank you so much for being here today. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, or I should say being there, right? It's more fun in the sunshine. <laughs> True. Yeah, it is just buckets buckets here. It's, it's kind of causing some flooding problems, so we're hoping it, it tails off soon. But anyway, uh, thank you all for, for joining today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How David Beats Goliath podcast. If you have any questions or recommendations, send Mike an email at mike at howdavidbeatsgoliath.com.